Today is May 2nd, and we are going to recap what we saw this past weekend between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Epic, epic stuff. Corey Erdman uh, is with us. We'll also talk about Shakur Stevenson and what is next. We'll take a look back at April, and we'll take a look ahead at May, which is headlined by Canelo Alvarez back in action this Saturday night on the zone. Let's get into it. What is up, everybody? Dan Kenobi here inside Boxing Live, brought to you by John Boy Media. Today, we are going to be recapping the epic weekend that we that just transpired. Uh, Madison Square Garden was absolutely wild. I was in attendance. Uh, Katie Taylor picks up a controversial split decision win over uh, Amanda Serrano. Shakur Stevenson over in Vegas picked up a dominant win. Nothing controversy or controversial about that win over Oscar Valdez. Joining us on the show this week, Corey Erdman of Boxing Scene uh, and also does a lot of work with The Zone. Great broadcaster, great friend of mine. Uh, he was with me at MSG uh, where we saw one of the best women's fights of all time. One of the best fights I have ever seen. A fight that should be in the running for fight of the year. Uh, to me, it's Conlon and Wood and it's Taylor and, and, and Serrano. Uh, just epic, epic stuff. And, um, you know, it's easy to get bogged down by the sport of boxing. The negativity of the sport, you know, the fights that uh, we aren't getting, even though we're getting great fights now on a continuous basis, the politics, the headlines sometimes aren't always positive. But when you get a fight like Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano at Madison Square Garden, sold out, all the hype, and it lives up to the hype, you're reminded of why you fell in love with this sport. And I've seen a lot of fights in, in my day. I've been very lucky uh, to have grown up here in, in New York City and been able to go to Miguel Cotto fights at the Garden. Uh, and I've been in some big ones. You know, uh, you know, Zab Judah comes to mind. Uh, you know, when, when he fought Shane Mosley, uh, when he fought uh, Paulie Malignaggi, very loud. But what I heard on Saturday night was something I've never heard before. The roar of the crowd, especially in that that. 10th round, that final flurry, and that 5th round where Serrano uh, almost had Katie Taylor out of there. I've never heard the Garden like that. It, it felt different all week long, as Corey will, will talk about. It was it just different. You know, I hate to use the vibes, but the vibes were, were good. It was positive. It was a celebration of women's boxing. It, the, the two ladies were so respected uh, of each other. They had so much respect for each other, and you saw that in the lead-up. And it was a different atmosphere. It was a different type of vibe heading into the garden that night. And they delivered. Man, did they deliver. I actually picked uh, Katie Taylor to win a split decision. And that was the case. But, you know, being their ringside, I thought that Amanda Serrano did enough to win. I thought she landed the cleaner, harder punches. Uh, she landed more power shots. I understand that uh, majority of the, the punches landed came in that fifth round where when Amanda Serrano landed 44 of 114. Uh, but there was a close fight. You know, the more and more I watched it again and the more, uh, you know, talking to some people in the sport, there were a lot of people that had Taylor 96-94 and a lot of people that had Serrano 96-94. There were some that also could have saw it as a draw. You know, they landed within six punches of each other in eight of the ten rounds. You know, that just shows you how close uh, of a fight this was. That fifth round was epic stuff. You know, Serrano caught fire. You know, she started to land that left. She started digging to the body. I don't know how Katie Taylor... First of all, was, was did not go down, and how she recovered. 
you know, to have a decent fifth round, to find her legs in the sixth, to start landing like she did earlier in the fight in the seventh and eighth. That's how she won the fight. She was able to recover because I thought maybe she won the first two rounds, and I thought the middle rounds were won by Serrano. And then Katie Taylor was able to recover, and she was able to box, get her legs back, and win a fight, an epic fight. And it just cemented her legacy as one of the best athletes to ever come out of Ireland and arguably one of the best female fighters of all time. You know, it's not like the men's boxing where it's a deep, deep pool and it's years and years of, of history that you can look back on. You know, women's fights in, in New York weren't sanctioned until the mid-'90s. To see how far it's gone from that day to what we saw on Saturday, it, it was epic stuff and, and a fight that lived up to the hype and then some great, great action. Uh, the promotion was phenomenal. I think the zone, matchroom, everyone involved, MVP promotions, Jake Paul, Eddie Hearn, they did a great job. You know, I was here all week at all the events, and and like I said, I'm sounding like a you know I'm beating a dead horse here, but it felt big, it felt different, uh, and it delivered. Also, over on the West Coast or in Vegas, Shakur Stevenson picked up a big decision win. Uh, we all knew how this fight was going to play out. Uh, Stevenson is just too damn good. He's impossible to hit. Um, his precision was there. His distance, his pr uh, power. You know, this guy's on another stratosphere right now. And as we'll talk with Urban, it's just like, who can beat Shakur Stevenson right now between 130 pounds and 140? Uh, you know, maybe a Lomachenko. They got to beat the drum for the, for that fight. Love to see him in there with a tank. Love to see him in there with a Haney, obviously. Uh, but the politics get in the way uh, of that happening. So we'll talk with Corey Erdman. We'll go over all the uh, the news and notes this week. We say goodbye to what was a loaded April. April was very, very good to boxing fans. Uh, starting April 9th with Triple G and Murata uh, in Japan. Uh, Triple G, I thought he looked good in that fight. And he did enough uh, to win, obviously knocking out uh, Murata. That bangs the drum for a fight with Canelo. Canelo's got to do his job this weekend, and then we'll get a trilogy fight uh, over there in Vegas sometime in, in September. They, Triple G at 40 years old still showed signs that he has the power, uh, still showed signs that he has the jab. Maybe the defense isn't there, but uh, that's how he started this month. And obviously, Sebastian Fundora and Erickson Lubin, which should be in the running too for Friday of the year. Lubin, uh, you know, just beaten up bruised, battered by Sebastian Fondora, who was quickly becoming one of the biggest stars in the sport at 154. So that you could keep an eye on. April 16th, we saw Spence in Ugas. Uh, Spence coming back and just put an exclamation point uh, on a performance for the ages where he threw almost 80 punches around. But the biggest thing to come out of that Spence-Ugas fight on April 16th is how we're going to get this undisputed fight with Crawford finally. Uh, so that was April 16th. I mean, right from there, we went into Tyson Fury versus Dillian White. April 23rd, 95,000 fans at Wembley Stadium, an emphatic KO for Fury. He says he's going to retire. I don't believe it. That was a wild scene. And then right into this last weekend, what we just talked about with Taylor Serrano and Stevenson Valdez. Obviously, May is going to be huge with uh, Canelo fighting this upcoming weekend. Uh, you know, we got Charlo and Castaño rematch March 14th. Uh, end of the month, it's Tank and Rolly. So there's obviously a lot to get to. Uh, the sport, I say it every week, but the sport is literally buzzing. There was so much positivity around the sport. Big fights are being made. We haven't even got into June yet, which is going to be absolutely loaded. So it's a good time to be a boxing fan. It's a good time to subscribe uh, to Inside Boxing Live. But with that, let's get to our guest, Mr. Corey Erdman.
All right, let's bring in our guest this week. You know him, boxing scene contributor, all-around great broadcaster, great friend of mine, my favorite Canadian. Corey Erdman is here, and we are coming off the heels of a huge fight at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Katie Taylor gets the split decision win over Amanda Serrano. I'm not done talking about this fight. I'm still buzzing, and I'm sure you are too, Corey. Yeah, that was uh, probably the loudest fight atmosphere I've ever been in. And obviously, we've been in a lot of those in the past, but nothing compared to this. Like, it felt like, I mean, it felt like a celebration, and it was. And it felt like the voices of people who had been bottled up for too long. And it was all coming out. All of that emotion was all coming out from the crowd and from the fighters. And they just, they gelled to make something really special at MSG. You're right. It was a perfect combination of a lot of things it was a perfect storm uh you know the biggest women's fight in the history of boxing madison square garden two rabid fan bases i've seen a lot of fights in, in madison square garden for a puerto rican star by the name of miguel cotto and i would say the loudest i have ever heard madison square garden was cotto judah uh obviously it wasn't uh, around for for trinidad joppy you know my father said that trinidad joppy was the loudest he's ever heard the garden but he said this was pretty damn close I just remember turning around at different parts uh, of, of the fight and just like looking over at you. It was you and, and Shields and just yeah. being like, dude, can you believe what is going on right now? Like all of the hype, all of the promotion. Uh, we hear this a lot in the sport. Best this, best that. Uh, you know, it's they are promotion, promotional tools to to sell a fight. Rarely does it ever live up to the hype. Rarely does it ever exceed the hype. And that was the case uh, with this fight. Yeah, and, and I want to be clear about something, too. And, and by the way, it was really cool kind of watching that fight where I was because I was I was watching with Clarissa Shields. And Clarissa in that moment was – she was just a fan. You know, she was freaking out just like everybody else. Like, she was just astonished by what was going on and, and was very much kind of taking a backseat and just appreciating what's, uh, what Katie and Amanda were doing in there. Um, but, yeah, like that environment and, you know – Again, we're happy that this promotion happened. We're happy that, that women were put in the main event. Um, but I, I want to make sure that the credit for what this environment was like is going to those fighters, right? Because, like, this was special because of how long this took for this to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not – it wasn't Jake Paul or Eddie Hearn that made that environment. Of course, they put this event on. But this was two women uh, with exceptional fan bases – um, and, and a special moment in time that was creating that. Like this wasn't what, and, and so what I'm saying is this wasn't something that was manufactured by two promoters. This was something very, very genuine and raw that we were seeing on Saturday night. Right. The promoters, they got us to this point. You know, there was much talk about, oh, maybe they're too much in the forefront. You know, they made a bet. Uh, I thought the bet just made more awareness for the fight, but you're absolutely right. Like once it was, we're in that arena, you felt something different. You know, me and you have been around so many fight weeks. We've been around the sport for a long time. And, you know, you get into town and you have the, the public workout. You get into town and you have the presser. And then you have the weigh-in. And we've been for some big fights, you know, some big Canelo fights, some big Mayweather fights, some big uh, Pacquiao fights, Cotto fights. But there was something different. You know, it was new. Like, you felt something different all week. It was more positive than ever. And you saw that with, I think it was started with the, the two women. You know, they took their, everyone took their lead. They were very uh, respectful of each other right up until the fight began. They were in the ring looking at each other, man, a surrounded mouth that this is crazy. I think yeah. even it blew them away how 
rabid the fans were uh, on Saturday night and how big it felt. You know, it it was up there, one of the, the craziest atmospheres I'd ever been a part of. And I was lucky enough to be at some, like, you know, make a Mayweather-Pacquiao or a Mayweather-McGregor, which were huge fights. It kind of, like, felt that. And the fight delivered more than those fights. So it, oh, it yeah. was really special. Yeah, it, it and the environment, and it stretched out outside of the arena too. Like you saw the people outside of the arena with the flags, and and and, and to your point, Dan. So many times we, you know, we travel all over the place for fights, and you get in town, and no one in the vicinity of the arena knows that a fight has happened. They're like, hey, what are you here for? I'm here for a boxing. Oh, there's a boxing match going on. That's nine times out of ten, that's the answer. Mm-hmm. But everyone, at least around that arena, knew that this was going on, and even the local businesses were getting in on the act. And this wasn't something that was, uh, that was put together by the promotional team or anything like that. Like I was at a bar that had like a Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano dessert, like a pink boxing glove. There was, uh, you know, we're not going to endorse the sign, but there was an Irish pub, not too far. Yeah. From, I saw from that the, on your uh, Twitter. Yeah. Not too far from the arena with a rather profane sign in support of Katie Taylor. But you know, you couldn't be around the arena and, and not know that something was going on this week. And, and, you know, that's a barometer also, whether or not there are people selling bootleg t-shirts outside of an arena is an indicator of whether or not it was a big event. And, and we definitely had those. I saw more than one, more than one person hawking some bootleg wares. Did you pick anything up? No, because I wasn't carrying any cash, but mm. I would have. I support local bootleggers. Yes, you're a big t-shirt collector too. I know yes, that. But yeah, yeah, I yeah. was saying the same thing. It's like, I want a poster from, from this fight. Like, I, I need something to commemorate that I was there. Like, they're not doing uh, credentials anymore because they're too easy to replicate. Yeah, so they gave right. all of us those bracelets. And that's not as cool as, like, hanging off your, your, you know, at home. I have all my old credentials, like a bracelet. Come on, we got to do better than that. But uh, <laughs> what a night. Uh, obviously, the buildup w- was epic. And, you know, sometimes when you're in the arena, you kind of say, like, wow, you this is this is wild. And, and you hope that it plays off on the screen. And maybe sometimes you get caught up that you were there, that, that it makes it a little bit bigger than it actually was. But that's not the case. Like, and I was seeing a lot of my replies on Twitter of people saying that it sounded loud through the television. They wished that they were there. Uh, so I think the promotion, they did a phenomenal job. Uh, the ladies obviously took it from there and put on one of the best fights uh, of the year. I mean, we got to start talking about this as fight of the year, regardless of, of male or, or, or female. Let's talk about the actual fight now. Uh, really close. Uh, before the fight, I thought that Taylor was going to win a split decision. Uh, obviously, she did. But, you know, leaving that arena, I thought that Amanda did uh, enough to win on, on the rewatch. I could see how it could be 6-4. Uh, either way, uh, both women landed within six punches of each other in eight of the ten rounds. Uh, that just shows you h- how close uh, the fight was. But, man, they were going at it from the first bell to the last bell. Yeah, it, the fight lived up to, like, all of my, you know, greatest wishes for what the fight would look like. You know, I had really high expectations for it, and, and I was on Chris Mannix's podcast prior to the fight, and I predicted a draw because how I saw the fight unfolding and again it was wishful thinking was exactly kind of what we got in so many spurts which is these frenzied uh exchanges that are really difficult to score and when those happen yeah you you get judges kind of going each and every way i mean i couldn't have imagined that the action would look quite like that um i wasn't actively scoring again because i you know i just didn't have a scorecard in front of me i wasn't i wasn't doing that actively but i was in my mind thinking at the end of the fight, that was either a draw or maybe 6-4 Katie. That, that was okay. my feeling. But I didn't think that 6-4 Amanda was inappropriate. I, like, 
like you, I think that 6-4 either way yeah. or a draw would be perfectly fine. I haven't gone back and watched it quite yet. Uh, I'm still kind of coming down from it. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I think that even on the rewatch, I'll probably come to the same conclusion. Yeah, the first couple rounds, I thought Taylor was boxing beautifully. Uh, she was circling away from the left uh, of Serrano, and she was picking her off. And, um, you know, I knew it was going to be that type of fight. It was going to have to play out like that, where it was Serrano's pressure uh, versus the precision of Taylor. And I would say the first three, yeah, three-ish rounds, I thought Taylor was doing a good job boxing. I was like, oh, if she fights this fight, the entire one, she's going to, you know, run away with this. Then came the fifth round, and good God, Amanda Serrano threw 114 punches in two minutes. She landed 44. She got her uh, Katie Taylor in that corner and, and just didn't relent. But that right there was, to me, the turning point of the fight. Because from there, I thought Serrano got a little gassed, rightfully so. She threw 114 punches in, uh, in, in, in two minutes. And that's where somehow Katie found her legs and was able to get herself back into the fight. And to me, for her, that's stuff of legends right there. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, and I wrote about this in my piece on, on boxing scene, mm -hmm. which uh, just went up uh, today. If you're listening on Monday, it was posted on Monday, um, which is that Katie did something that only, you know, really special fighters, really special athletes can do, which is, you know, we, we see fighters win rounds and win fights after they got hurt. But Katie did something which is even more special, which is that she managed to win rounds while being hurt. Because there were rounds that Katie was winning after that fifth round where she was still not entirely there. Her front leg was never quite the same. There was like a little wobble in mm -hmm. it from, from there on. And she managed to muster the few attributes that would still work, which is that her legs are, are otherworldly in terms of their strength. We saw it in the final 20 seconds of that fight when her knee dipped. You know, she's doing basically uh, like a pistol squat yeah, to stay on far. her leg that far from the canvas and that fight changes, she stays up. She managed, she still had enough power in her legs and a well-timed jab such that she was able to win rounds while still hurt in those final five rounds, which is, yeah. is absolutely remarkable. Yeah, uh, no judge gave Taylor, or excuse me, Serrano a 10-8 round for, for that fifth round. That could have been mm -hmm. a big difference in the fight. And also that uh, last flurry where... Taylor's knee almost hit the canvas. That would have been a, a big difference. That's how close of a fight it was. Obviously, th there will be a rematch, but, man, I, I just can't believe um, the resilience of Katie Taylor. I can't believe the resilience of Amanda Serrano, too. Uh, you know, but there was also a discussion about the two-minute rounds. I mean, it's something mm -hmm. we're going to get into. Uh, it's not going to go away. Um, I felt where you can't just have it for some fights and, and, and not for others. Like, for this fight, I felt, you know what, I, I wish there was one more minute here. But it's also because it was a fight of this magnitude. Like, you can't just pick and choose where you want two minutes to be, where you want, uh, you know, three minutes to be. But it's interesting uh, because if there was the three-minute rounds, maybe Katie Taylor doesn't survive that fifth. You know, if there was three-minute rounds, uh, you know, maybe uh, Amanda can pick up. Uh, a, a knockout so that's something they're gonna keep an eye on i know a lot of the the women fighters that were there michaela mayer sinisa strada were all tweeting at the wbc about making it two to three minute rounds where do you exactly stand on that yeah I, the women should have the choice to fight three minute rounds so like i at this point like the the science that the wbc has been trotting out there has been shot down basically again and again and, and the crux of it is you know 
they're saying something that's so obvious that doesn't just pertain to women, right? They're saying that women, uh, in, in their estimation, are more susceptible to concussions, which, by the way, other uh, studies have shown that when they looked at male boxers and women boxers, there, there wasn't really a, a significant difference after X number of rounds mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how much damage was accumulated. Um, but they're saying something that's very obvious, that less boxing is better for your brain. You know, that's the, the reality is that if you want a perfectly functioning brain, uh, boxing is a bad thing. OK, we all we all understand that. Um, but then the same would be true for men, that men, in theory, would sustain fewer concussions if they fought two minute rounds as well. So the point of equality is for everyone to, ha- to have those same options. Um, and then the bigger issue is that because women's boxing is two minute rounds. A lot of people have used that to dismiss it as a lesser sport because they're, you know, they're not fighting quite as long. Um, and then people are using that to pay women less as well because That's they're true. saying, oh, well, they, they're, they're, fight, they're in the ring less so we can pay them less. Like it's just feeding the people who don't want women's boxing to excel. Um, and the WBC never responds to the criticism of their studies. They've just kind of been holding on to these uh, you know, forever and ever. Uh, when it just continuously gets disproven over and over. So, um, you know, they, they have been a massive hurdle uh, and maybe the main hurdle in preventing women from fighting three-minute rounds. Maybe you, you do know the answer to this, maybe you do not, but why is it just the WBC that's getting the flack here? Well, I think they have been the ones most vocal about it, right? Okay. Like they are the ones that had the, like the, the, the junk science effectively uh, that's been floated out there, you know, talking about uh, menstruation. And I think they cited that they, they feel that in, in the study they put out in 2014, that women don't have the same endurance capacity as men, which has obviously been disproven uh, when we look at things like ultra marathoning, when you increase the distance more and more and more, men and women basically equal out it's not an endurance thing it's it's it's, this is not a thing um but they have been the most vocal about it uh and they've used it to say hey we are the ones that are are protecting women Mm -hmm. and i think that in in a sense the wbc has kind of backed themselves into a corner a little bit too where maybe they don't want to back up on this because it might be a little bit humiliating that they've been this uh you know this staunch in their beliefs at this point to admit like, uh, Hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we found some different studies that are, that are saying something different. Uh, they don't want to do that, but yeah, I mean, that's, that is the reason why, you know, they are the ones who are taking the flax for us. There are cases to be made for two minutes. There are cases to be made against two minutes. Um, there's no doubt that that was 20 minutes of just, just full throttle. And who knows, maybe with three minutes, it, the fight doesn't look like that. But I, I would like to see a change. Uh, you know, I, I switched over. I was maybe on the, on the side of two minutes is fine. Uh, you know, 20 minutes, uh, it, it breeds for a more exciting fight. But there was something about that night where, you know, 10 two-minute rounds just didn't suffice for me. Like, these, these two women needed to, to, you know, get in there. And maybe it's 12 two-minute rounds. Maybe there's some, a compromise that, that can be made. But I would like to see uh, something a change there. Uh, let's go over uh, to what we think is going to be a, a rematch. Um, they're talking about maybe Ireland. I know MSG has put in the pitch to get it back here. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that's the case. I, I think it doesn't go to Vegas. I think it's either going to be somewhere in Ireland, maybe Port- not Puerto Rico, but somewhere in Ireland. Maybe if, if Amanda <laughs> would have wanted it would have been Puerto Rico. Somewhere in Ireland, uh, maybe back I- in New York. But uh, if it's in Ireland, I mean, Amanda Serrano is going to have to go for the knockout there because that's going to be tough to get a decision. 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the rematch to me is fascinating because I feel like, in my mind, I, I question whether that is the best that Katie Taylor can possibly do. And I question whether Serrano has another level that perhaps she can hit. You know, it's kind of what I was thinking after, uh, like, Charlo Castaño, for example, mm-hmm. right? I feel like Charlo has more ways that maybe he can improve to make that second fight look a little bit different. I kind of feel the same way. I, I wonder if that is kind of the, the absolute peak of Katie Taylor. And if maybe we haven't seen the absolute best of Amanda Serrano, if maybe there are adjustments for her to be made. And with the additional time, maybe sitting in and around 135, as opposed to literally eating her way up to 135. <laughs> she was eating bacon, egg and cheeses and burgers to get up to 135. If that rematch looks a, a little bit different um, as for where it could go. I mean, yeah, it, it's, I mean, Ireland would be extraordinary if they could do that. You know, we, we all understand uh, some of the barriers. <laughs> do those uh, barriers present. exist? Uh, if you don't know, um, it's the MTK yeah. is not is is completely gone. Like it was kind of like fitting that their yeah. their Twitter account disappeared the same day as the two ladies stepped in there. And Katie Taylor obviously has been prevented from fighting in Ireland because of MTK's presence there, and they no longer exist. So that hurdle. Uh, is essentially gone as far as we right. know we don't know for sure i mean it's a very fluid situation but that would be a some scene uh you know and, and then when you win you get to call the shots like that they have negotiating power here but there will be a rematch uh without a doubt i mean these two ladies have to fight again i would not be shocked if there's a third fight that's the type of uh stylistic matchup that this gave us i mean right. you know, there's 100 percent going to be more installments of, of these two ladies yeah, can we uh, can we do Yankee Stadium? Could we oh. uh, have Cotto Foreman all right. over? Right, were you what there that night? That was wild. Uh, I was not there that night. I was watching that one on TV. That was a, that was a scene. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if it ends up back in New York. I mean, the, you know, don't you know, it, it worked out well. I mean, there was, yeah, there was and it's 20, kind of 000. neutral ground for both of them too, right? right. Like it's 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 good. Um, you know, rather if you're in Ireland and it would work because she's such a massive a figure in Ireland. Um, but you're leaning entirely on Taylor and her supporters for, yep. for that audience. Again, I don't think they'd have any trouble, but in New York, you can kind of have both fan bases on neutral ground. Well, that's the reason why I thought it was so loud in there and I had a couple of people chirping at me like, oh, you obviously never been to a Kodo fight. I was like, yes, I have. Obviously, you haven't been to a, a, a Trinidad fight there, but the difference is, is like you said, you have two fan bases in attendance on, on Saturday night. Like, I'm not saying that Kodo fans weren't loud, but when Kodo fought a, a Trinidad, oh, excuse me, when Kodo fought a, a Judah, when Kodo fought a Mosley, it was 90% Kodo fans. So right. when you have two different fan bases going at it, it was like a fever pitch. You know, I have my head, headset on when I'm doing the copy box, and I was, I couldn't hear a damn thing. Like, the fans were coming through. It was a frantic, frantic atmosphere. Uh, it was everything that's right with boxing. When boxing yeah. is done right, you get what you saw on Saturday night, and to be honest, I might be a little biased here. You can't. It's the best spectacle you can put on sports. Yeah, and it's all. It, we we keep forgetting too, just how great both of these fighters are. Like again, Serrano's accomplishments: seven weight classes, world titles, and seven weight classes. Katie Taylor being undisputed and being a, a vanguard for women's boxing. It, not like even when we do get great fighters in the ring. They don't always produce. They don't always mesh well, right? I mean, the Mayweather-Pacquiao is obviously kind of like that blowing mm-hmm. example. If you get two kind of generational greats in the ring together, it doesn't always create something special like that. But when you get that combination of things, when you have generational greats who also produce that kind of fight, it doesn't. You know, there are a few things in sports that are better than that. 
Yeah, even a girl like Trinidad De La Hoya. I mean, that was a fight that was marketed as best versus best fight of the millennium and didn't quite live up to the hype. So when you have something like this where you're hyping it all week long, you're throwing around words like biggest fight ever in a sport that's been around for 140 years, and then you leave that garden with a feeling of, wow, I saw something tonight that I've never seen before. I felt something that I've never felt before. I mean, it was a special, special night, and uh, I think we're going to get more of them uh, between these two ladies in the future. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff. It was just phenomenal. Like, I'm still not ready uh, to move on, but we're going to move on. Uh, Shakur Stevenson, Oscar Valdez over in, in Las Vegas, a, a wide decision win uh, for Shakur Stevenson. His streak of outlanding his opponents did come to an end, but it was a wide, wide points when he picks up another belt. I wouldn't be shocked if he finds himself in pound-for-pound pound lists now. Uh, we, this is kind of how well, we all saw this fight playing out, just a stylistic uh, mismatch for uh, Valdez, who fought you know, valiantly but just, just didn't have enough uh, for Shakur Stevenson. Stevenson is the future uh, of this sport. I could see him you know, catapulting to the top of that pound-for-pound pound list one day, just a virtuoso performance uh, from Newark's finest. Yeah, and, and I guess the question now is, like, for whom is Stevenson not a stylistic mismatch, right? Like, right. For, for boxers like that, for guys who can box the way that Stevenson does, usually people say, oh, well, at, at a certain point, just, you know, outlandish pressure will eventually break them down. Well, that's what Valdez tried. And who's better at, at 130? Who's more equipped than mm -hmm. Valdez? You know the the second best in that division to to put that on Shakur Stevenson and he couldn't do much with him. Um, you know if there is going to be a style matchup for Shakur that would work against him in my mind, it almost has to be someone who could box better than him. Right. And 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 who is that? You know, for me right now, if you're looking at the options for Shakur Stevenson moving forward, I, for me the juiciest one is Lomachenko. Absolutely. If they can make that happen, right? At Lomachenko at 130 is probably his toughest test that's reasonable right now. And beyond that, it's Shakur moving up to 135 with all those other names, you know, it's which which is cool to think about too because for 2 years or so we kind of talked about that foursome at 135 of those young stars of the the Garcias and the Haneys mm -hmm. and 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 Lopez um, and then the other guys in the mix, Javante uh, Davis, of course. Now it may not be that long before Shakur is suddenly in that conversation right. too, and he's talking about fighting all those guys because, um, yeah, he's going to run out of dance partners really quick, and and he's good enough to dance with with anyone in that neighborhood. He has talked about wanting to unify the division even more, become undisputed. Mm -hmm. uh, Kenichi Agawa has the other belt, IBF. Roger uh, Gutierrez has the WBA strap. There are some hurdles to making those fights. They're not exactly marquee fights. Uh, if he wants to go that route, it's there. Um, I agree with you, Corey, 100% that Lomachenko is the money fight for Shakur Stevenson. I'd be kind of shocked to see it next. I, can, I can't see him going from, you know, Herring, you know, to Valdez right to Lomachenko. I mean, we've seen how top rank operates. We've seen how all pr promoters operate. You know, let's let that kind of marinate for, you know, lack of a better term there. But that's sure. the fight. Whether Lomachenko stays at 135 uh, and Shakur jumps up to 135 or whether uh, they can do that at, at 130 with Lomachenko going uh, back down. Uh, he has spoken about how he wants to unify 135 Lomachenko. He still has his, his sights set on that. He's still in the Ukraine. It's a very fluid situation. But, I mean, if you take a look at it, Haney and Cambosos are going to be locked up for at least 
uh, the next 12 months, maybe 10 to 12 months. Uh, Javante Davis, he's on an island by himself. We don't know what Javante Davis is going to do next uh, at 135. Like you said, we're kind of running out of big names for Shakur, and it seems like he wants big names. So a, it makes sense from that standpoint. And I also agree with you that Lomachenko can box. Lomachenko uh, can still hit. Uh, he's got some of the best defense. He's still very precise. He still has the great footwork. That right there, that fight would be something special uh, between Lomachenko and Shakur. Yeah, and I, I I do think that they could get those fights made, you know, with uh, Ogawa or Gutierrez if, if that's what they want to do for to, to have Stevenson chase undisputed because Stevenson's a big enough name that I think you know the the handlers of Ogawa and Gutierrez yes. would rightfully understand like okay there's nothing bigger for them to than to go uh and and face Shakur at this point if they're willing to to wage those bouts uh I think they could get that made and that's also not a you know those aren't exactly fights that make you salivate but at the same time I can understand how they could market that as as Shakur's uh, last two steps to you know full blown undisputed. They can market that a little bit while we're waiting for someone like a Lomachenko. And I could see them running a promotion like that, where Lomachenko yeah. is kind of you know he's on the poster, he's he's up there, uh, the bat signals out there, but he has these belts to collect first. I could see them putting that together, and and I I would understand why they would do that. Yeah, Shakur's destined for the the bigger weights. He's a, he's a big 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 130 pounder. He looked huge on, on Saturday night. Could see him one day at 135. He gets into the mix, uh, you know, with the Javante Davises, with the Devin Haney's, George Cambosos, how that all plays out. It's interesting. You're right, because I always said uh, in, during on the early days of Stevenson's career, it's like, you know, he's never mentioned with those four, quote-unquote, four kings. It's because he never had a clear rival. You know, you had Lomachenko was constantly circling Tia female. You know, uh, Javante and Ryan uh, Garcia were constantly calling each other out. Whenever they do media scrums, whenever they do any media, they're – they are also bringing up each other's names. So Stevenson didn't have that. You know, he didn't yeah. have a natural rival. But now he has just kept winning, kept looking spectacular, and now he's put himself in the forefront. He might be the best of the whole bunch. You know, sustainable skills, defense, you know, accuracy. Uh, he's now marketable, too. I know some uh, fans were upset with how the fight ended and when he let his foot off the gas, but he still uh, threw, I think, 55 punches around, which is up from his previous fights. Uh, he's giving you enough offense, but he's also uh, giving you that. You know, I hate to use that the the um, you know talking about Mayweather, but that's mm -hmm. how he fights. I mean, he he fights hit and don't get hit. And right now, um, he's showing that, and that is uh, Shakur Stevens. So it's interesting to we'll see what's next for him. Uh, but also this weekend coming up, are you going to be in Vegas for uh, Mr. Canelo Alvarez? Uh, yeah, I'll be calling the undercard. I I, I will be there, so I'll have a pretty good seat. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> tough fight. I uh, won't get you know we're gonna get more into it on Thursday's pod, but I'm uh, starting to you know wind down from Taylor Serrano, wind down from Shakur, and just briefly look at some numbers for uh, Canelo Bavall. Uh, I see it being a close fight, close fight for uh, the first couple rounds. It's gonna to me it will picture it will kind of mirror Canelo uh, versus Kovalev, but I think that Bivol is a little more active, a little more obviously in his prime, has a really good jab. I think it's gonna be a close fight for the first maybe six seven rounds. Yeah, I, I can kind of see it the same way. Like, I, I think that Bevo is an interesting stylistic test for Canelo. Um, you know, I know that some people are kind of down on this matchup because Bevo, in his most recent bouts, you know, hasn't been exactly thrilling. He's been in against lesser opposition. And I think that Bevo, or maybe my hope for Bevo, but what I'm thinking about him is that 
he, he can kind of fight down to his opposition a little bit. If, if Bivol thinks that he can just kind of jab his way to victory, that's precisely what he's going to do. Um, but Canelo is going to make him do quite a bit more than that. Um, but to your point, I do think that there will be stages in the early rounds where it will look a lot like Canelo and Kovalev, where Kovalev was basically trying to jab his way to victory. He wasn't taking a ton of chances. Uh, he wasn't really throwing his right hand a ton in that fight. Uh, Bivol, I think, has kind of a, a snappier right hand maybe than uh, uh, than Kovalev does, and maybe will want to use it a little bit more. But in the early rounds, I think it'll be Bivol trying to jab his way to victory. And then that's when we're going to find things out because right. Canelo is going to make him work. And then how will Bivol respond? Can he tap in to those other skills that he has, those other tools? Are they still there? That's what we're going to find out. Canelo is, is going to answer all those questions for us. He's going to hammer him to the body late, Canelo. That's how I see this fight, uh, you know, close for five, six rounds. Canelo, his numbers against fighters that are six foot or taller, it's absurd because he's in perfect range to land those body shots. That's how I see it right now. Obviously, I'm going to have to dig in a little deeper and take a look. I think it's going to be an awesome fight. I think, uh, you know, Canelo jumped to 175 after what he did at 168, taking on a legitimate champion. This isn't Sergey Kovalev. This isn't washed, drunk Sergey Kovalev coming off of a fight, you know, a, a, a month before this. This is a legit champ, and above all, and a guy that can really box and has power, too. That's going to be awesome, man. You're going to be on the call. Yeah, I'll be on the call for the undercard, uh, and then uh, I'll, I'm, I'm just going to stay in my seat. I'm just going to stay about <laughs> two inches from the ring unless someone wants to kick me out. What a run the sport is on right now from what we saw this past weekend in New York and Vegas. Back to Vegas for Canelo. Next week, we got Charlo and Castaño, Tank and Roley at the end of the month. So many other fights in between. June, absolutely loaded. It's our busy time, Corey. Appreciate uh, you coming on the show. Enjoy Vegas. Enjoy the call. Go check uh, Corey's workout at BoxingScene.com. He has a really, really good story right now on uh, Taylor Serrano. So, all right, man. I appreciate the time, and uh, see you soon. Thanks, man. Sorry I couldn't see you at Jack Doyle's. Your, your party was too packed. <laughs> that party was absolutely. My dad was there. Aris was there. <laughs> we were getting after. The vibes were so good leading from MSG into that bar, and I expect them to continue uh, for the next couple of months. Thanks, Corey. Take care. All right, special thanks to my guy, Corey Erdman. Still buzzing off what we saw at Madison Square Garden. Uh, great stuff all around. Uh, of course, Stevenson doing his thing, and now we set our attention to Canelo Alvarez and Dimitri Bival, a fight that I think is going to be close. I think this is Canelo's toughest fight since the Golovkin fights. I, I really do. I think uh, Bival is a guy who fights up to his talent. Obviously, he hasn't looked good in his last couple fights, but now on the biggest stage of his career, he gets Canelo Alvarez. And Canelo, man, I mean, in boxing, we, we kind of give him too much praise. Some people say that, but no one's doing what he's doing right now. To clear out 168 and from there go up to 175 and fight a legit champ like Dimitri Bival, it's wild. It's absolutely nuts. So we have to appreciate Canelo fight weeks while they're here. I think the guy is obviously pound for pound number one in the sport right now. He's carrying the sport on his shoulders, uh, but he's got a tough fight for him. Really, really tough fight uh, for Canelo Alvarez. And if he wins, we get a third fight with Golovkin, which uh, Canelo has said numerous times that's for the fans. It's not really for him. He says it's for the fans. So a lot to uh, look forward to. We'll be back on Thursday with another podcast uh, getting deep into uh, Canelo. Uh, and above all, keep it locked to Inside Boxing Live. Don't forget to subscribe uh, to the uh, JM Boxing page over on YouTube. We're going to have some fun stuff with some special guests. They might be coming through uh, the studio. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week.